This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers, worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. Okay, um, we're in the uh, a series, Jesus is, Jesus revealed in his I am statements. And um, uh, this week uh, we're going to look at uh, I am the true vine. But before we do that, just interesting to, uh, if you think about what sort of books and what sort of things people are obsessed about uh, in Britain, in the Western world, but in Cheltenham, they're, they're re- people are really concerned about their own growth. Uh, personal growth. If you Google self-help books on Amazon, there's thousands and thousands and thousands of books on self-help. So this was the very kind of smorgasbord of pick yourself, various different things, how to overcome fear, positivity, how to heal a broken heart, how to grow, how to live in the moment. We're all really, really keen about that kind of stuff. We're all concerned about how do we grow? How do we grow healthy? How do we grow wealthy? How do we grow successful? How do do we grow spiritually? We're really concerned about those kind of things. And so what we'll do is we'll, we'll search all over for, for what's going to make us the kind of person that, w- that we're going to be. You know, we're going to read Seven Habits of Effective Leaders or we're going to read Stephen Covey's Habits of Effective People or we're going to how to make friends and influence people. We all want to read these kind of self-help books and most of us are quite, quite lazy. If you ever have been given a self-help book or you read a self-help book, you never really go to the front. You look at this contents page and you go down to the end where it says five helpful tips. You don't want to read the blind. Just give me the answers. Give me the tips on how I can grow, uh, how I can grow and develop. And, and the reality is, as you're young, you probably don't even think about it. And then in middle age, you're too busy. And then you get to kind of my age. I'm not quite uh, old yet. But as you get to my age, you think, oh my word, I've really not done much about this. And so it is a sense of this growth, for, search for growth and fruitfulness. It's something that really fills our minds. So Jesus, uh, being ever uh, relevant, speaks into this. Uh, and so let's read. It's John 15. Uh, Jesus says, I am the vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes and cleans so it'll be even more fruitful. You're already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Dwell. Some, some versions might have abide or remain or dwell. All this kind of root of the same word. Make your home. Dwell in me and I will also dwell in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must dwell in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you dwell in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you dwell in me and I in you, you'll bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not dwell in me, you're like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown in the fire and burned. If you dwell in me and my words dwell in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have 
loved you. Now dwell in my love. If you keep my commands, you will dwell in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. My command is this, love, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to, than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything I've learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that may, you may go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. Father, we pray as we look at the words of Jesus, I pray that they would have relevance for us today, that we would understand the importance of what he's saying, that we cannot find growth and fruitfulness anywhere else. And Lord, we sometimes just give little mental ascension to that point, but it never reaches the reality of how we live. So I pray, help us this day to learn to dwell in you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so let's just give you, I like to give you the background. A lot of when Jesus is doing these I am statements, what he's doing is kind of like double clicking on, 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 on the culture of the day, the, the Jewish culture of the day. So um, I, I mentioned this before. So if I say three lions to you, you immediately think football. You think three lions. But, you know, you, you, we, we automatically have phrases in our culture that if we, if we double-click on them, we know what they mean. And, and obviously, if I said to you, if you said to somebody out in the street, I'm the true vine, you'd go, oh, I've no idea what you're talking about. But actually, for Jesus' uh, hearers, it was a simple, like, oh, yeah, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Because the nation of Israel was called God's vine. The nation of Israel was called God's vine. Isaiah 5, 7 says, The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel, and the people of Judah are the vines he delights in. So they automatically would have understood, okay, you're talking about the nation of Israel. Uh, you can still find it today. If you find an Israeli shekel, on the back of an Israeli shekel is a picture of a vine plant. There's still that sense of understanding that the Jewish nation, the Israeli nation, see themselves as a vine. God's good vine. If you could go to the temple, it was destroyed in AD 70, but you can't go to it. So, uh, but if you go to Herod's temple that was around when Jesus was around, above the portico, the main doorway, was this massive golden vine plant. Uh, it's, uh, it was so large that Josephus, the, the, Roman, uh, the, the Jewish writer who was captured by the Romans, uh, he writes that actually the grapes were a meter large of solid gold. This was a massive Vine, and what happened is when the when they built the temple, the the, the 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 people took their rings and took their gold jewelry and took all their wealth, and they said, "No, we're putting it into this massive sculpture uh, to say that actually God is this glorious vine and we're His vine." So there's that sense of when Jesus is saying the true vine, they already think, "Oh, you've got my attention." Now, always with this thing is that there's more going on. And most of the other passages in the Old Testament about vines basically say, Israel, I'm, you were the true vine, but you've blown it. You were the true vine, but you've not really done what you're supposed to do. And so you find through Ezekiel and Jeremiah and other pro prophets where uh, the Bible says, you didn't make it. So here's Jeremiah 5, 10 and 11. It says, God it says, go through her, her being Israel, go through her vineyards and cut off her branches. 
For these people do not belong to the Lord. The people of Israel and the people of Judah have been utterly unfaithful to me, declares the Lord. So here's the the people of Israel thinking they're the true vine and that if you want blessing from God, from other nations, you need to come and be knitted into us. You need to become engrafted in to be part of us. But actually all the time is they were forgetting God. All the time they were totally abandoning God. They were going off and uh, uh, being loving the gods of other nations, not interested in God. And so God says, actually, you've become this unfruitful vine. You've become this vine that actually needs to be pruned branches need to be cut off, it's a serious business. And so uh, there's a sense where the the true vine um, of Israel became this fruitless vine, this vine that didn't bear fruit, that didn't bless the nations, became this uh, vine that needed to be seriously pruned. Again, in um, Psalm 80, there's also another nuance going on that perhaps you might not have picked up, but I'm sure that was clear in Jesus' mind in his talking about it, he says this, It says, Psalm 80, the psalmist writes, Return to us, God Almighty. Look down from heaven and see. Watch over this vine. It's a prayer. God, would you care for for Israel? The root your right hand had planted. So far, so simple. It's about a plant. And then there's uh, an interesting uh, step change in, in the verse. It says, The son you've raised up for yourself. Let your hand rest on the man at your right hand, the son of man you've raised up for yourself. Well, who's this then? So here we've got Israel, the true vine, but actually the psalmist is saying the vine is actually a son. A son that's at God's right hand, who God's raised up. Now, we know the answer to that, don't we? But they might not have got there, but actually we know the answer that this is Jesus. Then we'll call on your name. So when Jesus is saying, I'm the true vine, I wrote here, when Jesus is saying, I'm the true vine, he's making a profound claim. He's stating that where the people of Israel fail to obey God and represent God, he, Jesus, is, is the true vine, God's true son who perfectly obeys and reflects the fruitfulness of God's nature. So that's kind of like, click, click. That you know, depending on how much you knew the Bible, and you've got to understand that we live in, a, I've said this before, we live in an age of so much information and not much knowledge. There's so much information, but we don't really know what to believe. In, 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 those, in that culture, there was very little information. So people knew the bits of information were available, they knew the Old Testament. Even the most uh, common working person would know the, know the nuances of the Old Testament in a way that we think, wow, it's amazing, because they didn't have much to focus on. And it wasn't they were thicker than us. It's just our, our heads are full of all sorts of stuff, where their heads were full of small amounts. So they would have probably picked this up. So they may have understood what Jesus is saying when he says, I'm the true vine. Ah, I'm the vine that's obeyed God. Ah, I'm the vine that is the true son. I'm the one who's at God's right hand who is blessed. Okay, so that's... The background, and we'll, and we'll pull that background back in as we come. But basically, the, Jesus starts off by saying, my father is the gardener. My father is the gardener. And, and in one sense, it feels kind of quite innocuous. My father's a gardener. Oh, all very nice. But what it's saying is, God is in charge. God's in charge. He is the gardener. The branches are not in charge. The grapes are not in charge. Jesus, the vine is not even in charge in that sense where in his incarnation as, as, as a son of God. God the Father, God is the gardener. He is in charge. Now that might feel great 
Because actually what it means is God is responsible ultimately for your spiritual growth. I know we think spiritual growth is all about self-help and growth, personal growth and character development is all about self-help. But actually God saying that he's a gardener saying he's ultimately responsible for your growth. That should be a huge relief but there's also something in our culture that thinks I don't like that because I like to be in charge. I like to be in charge. I, I like to... I, 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 you know, the way we look at our life, and, and you know, you can drive around and look at some of the kind of nice uh, large houses of Cheltenham, and you, if you went knocked on, door, on the door and said, oh, I've just come to tell you it's a real relief, God is in charge of your life, they would kind of politely say, yes, 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 that's all very nice, thank you. Uh, but actually there are people who live in the, in the west of Cheltenham in, in tough poverty or difficult situations and they are the ones who really need God to be in charge of their life. They're the ones whose lives are a little bit of a mess and need God to be in charge of their life because I'm doing quite well, thank you, I'm fine, I'm sorted. Uh, yes, it's very nice that you think that God is in charge but actually I don't need God, thank you. And so that might be one response. Or maybe we, you, could be, uh, you could be a Christian. You could be here this morning and you could say, yes, God is the gardener. I'm really chuffed that God is the gardener. And I'm really chuffed that he's in charge of my life. But when God rocks up in the morning and he says, uh, hello, oh, oh, gardener, oh, great, thank you. Uh, um, actually, I'm just a little bit busy right now. Uh, my life's kind of busy. Could you just sit yourself over there? Uh, just sit on that chair over there. Yes, but you, no, 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 don't go in the garden. That's all fine. My garden's fine. Just sit over there. It's lovely you've turned up. I feel really blessed that you've turned up this morning. And no, no, please don't talk to me because I've got a lot of things to do. No, no, and don't touch anything. I'll speak to you on Sunday. Well, I'll speak to you on some Sundays because a lot of Sundays I'm actually a bit busy and I'm away for the weekend. And I, and I just, just sit over there and it's great that you're the gardener, but hey, I'm just a little bit busy right now. Is that unfair? That is what we do. God rocks up into our life every day, and I do it. So I know that you do it, and you say, yes, God, I'm kind of busy right now, but I'd really like to pour my life into you because I am the gardener, and I want you to be rooted in Jesus, and I want you to have my life, but I'm kind of busy right now. And we don't really want God involved. But actually, he doesn't just say God's some kind of random gardener. He actually says, my father is a gardener. That changes the whole level of commitment. If you're a parent, you are fundamentally... It's kind of getting old. I don't feel I've aged at all. My children are maturing. Okay, but as a parent, I am absolutely deeply committed to the growth and development of my kids. You know, and you are committed to your kids. You want them to grow and develop. You know, in Cheltenham, you desperately want them to go to the best school. If they don't go to Pates, oh my word, what's going to happen to them? You're, you know, you're committed to their development. You want them to do well. You know, in fact, your kids don't care about their growth at all. You know, they, get, they get to teenage, they get to student and you go and say, what is your life like? Look, at Naomi went to visit Damaris and she went in and said, the kitchen was filthy. <laughs> you know, the floor needed vacuuming. She said, but I always have people in my room watching films, popcorn all over the floor, places a complete mess. You know, kids are not in, committed to their own personal development, one scrap. 
But you're committed to their personal development. When I went to pick up Zach a few years ago, and it's not like me, I'm in washing his pots, cleaning his kitchen, because I don't need to catch a disease. Because you're committed, you're rationally committed to your children's development. You're committed to their growth and fruitfulness. Zach is in South Africa, and I'm thinking, I want you to be happy and have lots of friends, and there's nothing I can do about it. My kids are at university, and I'm thinking, I hope you're okay, because I'm irrationally committed to their development. I want to give everything I can to them develop. Your God is like that for you. You. He is the gardener, the father who's the gardener. He's, he's crazily committed to your development. He's absolutely desperate to get his hands dirty to make sure you flourish. You might think, I don't care about that. But it's profoundly reassuring if you'll have it. The truth is that God is the gardener. Let's go to the next obvious point. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and you are the branches. I am the vine, and you are the branches. If you dwell in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. For if you do not dwell in me, you are like a branch that's thrown away and withers. There's an interesting and massive distinction between the vine and the branches. The vine has a root system. Basic biology, the vine has a root system. If you take a branch and stick it in the ground, which is what you do when you're a kid, you think that's how it works, you take a, a bit of a something or other and stick it in the ground and you think, well, you hope it's going to grow. Now, they might do occasionally, but the bottom line is that, that branches do not have a root system. They cannot sustain themselves. They can't grow on themselves. Vines have a root system. That there's a basic fundamental difference. God, uh, Jesus as God, he's rooted into the life of God. He's rooted into the source of all life and you're not. On your own, you can't do anything. On your own, you can achieve nothing. You might feel that you can, but the bottom line is that without being rooted into Jesus, you're going to get nowhere. I wrote this, Jesus, only Jesus is rooted into the life of God, Father, Son, and Spirit. He has the life-giving root system. We do not. The union between the branches and the vine is not mechanical, it's vital. That means life-giving, organic union. Separate from Jesus, we have no life in us. We are fruitless and futile, slowly withering and dying. Basically, there's something about a real Christmas tree, isn't there? I mean, I think in the States, they actually go drive out from New York into the hills of New Jersey and Vermont and cut out these trees. I'm sure the guys from Ohio, they just pop into their back garden and there's a nice tree there that they cut down. You know, whereas we'll go and buy it from the shop, won't we? And, and I remember for years, I would be absolutely crazy, furious, trying to get this wretched thing. We had a terracotta pot. I never realized you could buy a base that you could put it in and screw it in. So I'm trying to put it in this pot and ram in pieces of newspaper and wood. And I'm swearing at the kids and I'm thinking, I love Christmas. <laughs> Father, forgive me. And you do all this thing and you dress up this tree and you go, whoa, Christmas, isn't it lovely to have a living tree in the house? You know, but by the time January comes, there are things like this withered old, battered old thing, you know, and it's like, and you're vacuuming up, you know, it fills up the Dyson, you're going to pour it out, and there's just this pathetic little withered old thing. And you think, chuck it out. 
But isn't that what Jesus is saying? He says, a Christmas tree, your life is like a Christmas tree. You may look amazing on the outside. You may be dressed up in Jack Wills. People are noticing my baubles and my tinsel and my little star on top. They're noticing, oh, what, how dressed up you are. But actually, without God, I am a Christmas tree. I am withering, slowly dying, only fit for being thrown out. And you say, yes, I get that. I understand this. I understand the vital importance of connecting with Jesus. But the bottom line is when the day-to-day comes, you just don't do it. You think it's true in theory, but you just don't do it. And I was thinking about, is there anything that that, that people do that that they stop in their busy lives and say, I must do this, otherwise I'm going to wither and die? And I thought about insulin. Okay, insulin. If you are a diabetic, you might have the most high-powered job in the world. You might have loads of kids. You might be busy. You might be driving up to London and back. You might be busy, all these things, you know, sorting out your house, buying all the things you need for Christmas. You may be busy, 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 doing all these things. But actually, there comes a little thing, but I don't know how it works. But, you know, if you, do you have, presumably you have a little buzzer or something that tells you, I would need one. Because I'll be so busy and then suddenly I'm, I'm slowly hypoglycemic and oh, you know, and get some injection. And you stop and do that, don't you? You would stop and do that? You think, guys, it's critical that I better do that, otherwise I'm going to die. But if we believe that Jesus is really the true vine and there's no life apart from him, you don't just carry on with your life regardless, busy, busy, busy. Sorry, Jesus, I'll catch you later. Yeah, I've been trying to connect and read my Bible, but... You know, really, it's like, no, you need, daily, you need your insulin injection, otherwise you are going to wither and die. I know, okay, don't go away and say, he said that God, relationship with God is like an insulin injection, it's just an image, okay. Not as good as Jesus' image, but you understand the seriousness of it. If you don't connect with Jesus, you will slowly die. You may look all fine on the outside. Your life may look fine on the outside, but on the inside, you are slowly dying. People do not die of old age. They die of disconnection with God, which is called sin. Just put that in for you to think about. So how do we dwell in the vine? Let's get practical. The first thing is you've got to be incorporated into the vine. This is where it stretches my horticultural knowledge. But basically, you have to be incorporated in the vine. Jesus says, you are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. That word clean doesn't mean you've had a nice wash and scrub and brush up. What it means is you've been cut as a clean cut to be grafted in. The way that, that, um, that vines can work, and, but also the way, apple trees, I, I used to work up in Evesham, is that actually you can, you can make a fresh apple tree by cutting out the, taking the rootstock and, and cutting it down, and then you can make a little cut in it, and you can take a clean branch, in other words, a, a clean branch, and you can graft it in. But the fact is, you didn't start off in the vine. You didn't start off in the vine, you were outside the vine. You were a a dead branch uh, in danger of being picked up and thrown in the fire. But actually, God has picked you up. Jesus says, you didn't choose me, I chose you. He's picked up the branch and he's cleaned it. He's spoken his word over it, he's cleaned it, and he's put a cut in the true vine. We'll come to that in a minute. He put a cut in the true vine and then wrapped you in. So that the life of the true vine can flow into you and give you life. Paul picks this little idea up in Romans. It says, although you, you although a wild shoot, you a wild shoot were grafted in amongst the others that were the Israelites 
and now you share in the nourishing root of the tree. It is not you, God first, who support Jesus, but it's not you who supports the root, but the root supports you. You know, when you give your money, thinking, well, I'm giving my money to support the work of Jesus. No, he's supporting you. You'll get your life from him. And so the first thing that needs to happen is you need to decide, I, I, you need to have Jesus pick you up, cut you, clean you, so that you say, actually, I need to repent of my sin. I need to change from what I'm doing. I need to understand that I've been looking for other things. I've been looking for anything else with a root system. You know, you can, you can look for romance as a root system. You say, if I find this pure, beautiful relationship, then I'll be happy and fulfilled. You know, then I'll feel like life has come. But that life, is, that, that is a lie. There's no root system. There's no human that's got a root system cut from Jesus. You can say, if I get that job, that career, that promotion, and then, I'm, then, then I'll find something with a root system, and that'll give me life. Or you can find all sorts of other things. You know, if I, have, if I buy that house, and, or I have that children, or whatever, and then I'll find something with a root system that's going to give me life and fruitfulness. I'll search through the self-help section of Amazon books, find something with a root system that I can plug into that's going to give me life. But Jesus is saying, no, there's no other root system apart from Jesus. And the fact is that you need to be picked off the floor, you need to be cleaned up by his word, and you need to be rooted into him. You have to dwell in Jesus. You've got to be organically connected to him. Jesus gives us some other tips how we do this. The next thing uh, that Jesus says is, if you dwell in me and my words dwell in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. I I like this idea of of dwelling because it basically says, make your home. If you make your home with me and I make my home with you. You know, it's kind of like marriage language, isn't it? I know these days it's kind of road test you know, have a relationship, live together, pop away for a few weekends, see how it rolls, you know, do a little bit of sexual intimacy, and then marriage. But actually, the, the, the way it is, is you, you say, okay, we're going to be joined together, we marry and move in together and are joined together. And this is kind of the same language. It says, if you dwell in me and my words dwell in you, there's a, a sense of mutual in, indwelling. This is Jesus saying to us, I want to dwell with you. I want to make my home with you. How do we do that? He, if you dwell in me, in other words, if you're grafted in and you believe in Jesus, the way that you find his presence is my words dwell in you. You know, there's a sense where you have to let... God's words dwell in you. I don't want to embarrass um, my sister, uh, who is here this morning, but I won't look at her so you don't know who she is. But we were talking last night, and her, her son, who's brilliantly cl- sharp and clever, was talking about, how, about relationships. And he's saying, you know, I have really deep and purposeful relationships on social media. I, co- I connect through social media. I know my friends through social media. We, we game through social media and whatever. And, you know, and that's fine for me. And, and, and Naomi said, so, are you, are you going to do marriage that way? <laughs> I thought it was really profound. Are you going to do marriage that way? And he thought, said, for, I mean, he's a, he's a lovely guy. He sort of said, well, I'll try to connect, you know, a little bit more closely. I'll probably share the space. And I thought, really? <laughs> you know, and, it, and, and so, are you, so then I got involved because I thought it's a good point. I said, are you going to do parenting that way? But actually, no, Jesus is saying there needs to be this this connection, this dwelling together. And the way that you do that is that he, you talk to him and and you listen to him. 
He starts off by saying, my words dwell in you. It's not because you want to get your Bible and pass the exam. Uh, you know, I understand what's happening in the Bible. He says, no, I'm going to let you speak to me. I had a really profound moment. and I thought, I never stop and say, hello, Jesus, please talk to me. So I've got my mind bouncing around like it does when I'm trying to pray. And I, and I kind of, I'm thinking, oh, I'm hopeless. Oh, God, how could you love me? Or oh, all those things, you know, those stuff. Quieten down and just let, let me hear him. It was really profound. It's almost like a voice. And he said, Howard, I've always delighted in you. I thought, it can't be you, Jesus. That can't be you. You must be frustrated with me. You must know I'm you know, deeply flawed. You must know that. You just know that I sin too easily and that I don't love you enough and that I'm often too busy and ask you to sit in the corner. Uh, and that, but yet Jesus speaks his words, I have always delighted in you. It's true for you. You have to let his words dwell in you. You have to let his words dwell in you. And then if you let his words dwell in you, he promises you this incredibly dangerous thing. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. It sounds like Aladdin, doesn't it? Rub the lamp and away we go. <laughs> no, no, no. If Jesus' words truly dwell in you, you ask for his stuff. We ask for his glory and his fame. Yeah, we might pray that somebody gets a job or somebody's well gets healed or whatever. We might pray those things. But fundamentally, because we've let his words dwell in us, we're saying, Jesus, what do you want? I want to ask what you want. How do you dwell in God? It's the obvious thing that they tell you in kids' work. Read your Bible and pray. Jesus says, you have to dwell in my words and ask. It gets deeper though. He says, dwell in my love. As the Father has loved me, so I've loved you. Boom. As the Father has loved Jesus... That's how he's loved us. So when he says, Howard, I've always delighted in you, why does he say that? Well, it's because he's always delighted in Jesus. And he's promised, I'm going to love you like I love him. Well, that's completely irrational, but he says, I'm your father. I'm completely irrationally committed to your growth and development. I love you. I love you. Now dwell in my love. I often talk about uh, Cheltenham like this comfortable sofa that you can sink down into and it just draws you in so actually you've got no energy to do anything but just kind of dream about comfort and holidays and I can go there really easily. Uh, but actually, Jesus is saying there is this amazingly comfortable sofa called my love and you are to sit down in there and you're just to sink into it and let its warmth wrap around you, let its arms wrap around you. It sounds a bit more like a Harry Potter sofa, but never mind. You know, let its wrap around you and just live there. I'm just going to live there. Where are you going to live? You live in energy, striving, self-made perfection. No, you've got to live there. I'm going to live in his love. Jesus says, if you keep my commandments, you'll dwell in my love. Jesus isn't saying, oh, if you don't keep commandments, I'm not going to love you. What he's saying is, if you pop off and uh, try and root yourself in something else, you know what? You're going to be distant from my love. Don't go there. Don't do other things. Don't do sins that make you feel far from me because I want you to stay here. I want you to live in my love. He says, I've told you this 
so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. That's amazing, isn't it? God wants us to sit in the comfortable sofa of his love and delight and he wants us to feel joy. You know, I'm too prone. Don't, please don't come up to me after and say that was so true that you said that. I'm so prone to moan. Now, I'm trying to get near me not to nod. I'm prone to moan. I'm not prone to joy. But I need to let his joy, the joy that's been in God for all eternity, I need to let that dwell in me. I need to let it wash over me. It says in Zephaniah, doesn't it, God rejoices over you with loud singing. But, but do you understand, God is like that, he's ridiculous. Could you stop posting on Facebook, God, how much you love me? Could you stop putting pictures up of me and saying, look, that's Howard doing his stuff, I love him. What? We're not bothered. He is bothered, he wants you to live in his joy that your joy may be complete. Let's do a couple more. Uh, I, I dwell in the Father's love by the Holy Spirit. Jesus already introduced this in the, just before he talks about the vine and the branches. I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper, another one like me, to help you to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. I will not leave you as orphans outside the home, nowhere to live. I will come to you. My Father will love them we will come to them, that's ours, and make our home with them. He's moving in. He's moving in. saying, I want you to dwell in my love. I want you to know what it's like to have me around. I know what it's like to feel my goodness. Be filled with the Spirit. A couple more. We need to dwell in real community. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down his life for his friends. You did not choose you, I said this earlier, but I chose you and appointed you that might go, bear fruit, go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. How do you know, as you dwell in the vine, you dwell in community? This community, if this is the one you choose, or another church community that you, you choose, you don't just dwell in the, in the large, kind of vague sense of God's big world, God's big church. No, you have to dwell in real community. You have to work. Love each other as I has loved you is not an abstract concept, is it? It's actually doing it. You actually do it. You lay down your life for each other. You're there for each other. You're great neighbors and friends. It's more than Sundays. It's more than sitting and listening to me. You have to dwell in real community. That's why our groups are important. They're not just groups because churches have groups. They're groups because we want you to live in real community, in real relationships, and be really loved and cared and discipled by each other. This is my command, you love each other. Last one. In terms of how do you dwell. Dwell on mission. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit showing yourself to be my disciples. If you live in God's love, if you dwell in his word, if you live in community, you will produce the kind of life that's massively attractive. Yeah? You will produce all the stuff that people do to try and look attractive, all the things that they do to try and make people like them and desire them and, and, and be impressed with them, aren't going to get it done. What is going to make people be amazed at you and think there's something unique and special about you is that you dwell in God's love and you bear his fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. If you do that at work, people are going to say, there's something really unique about you. You're not withering away or dressing yourself up 
in fancy tinsel to look good, there's something unique about you. I know that my wife and Mark work together, and uh, somebody said to Naomi, oh, you and Mark, oh, you go, to that ch- you go to church together. I knew there was something about you. Now, that doesn't mean, that should be unique. That's just the one I heard about. That should be like that about all of you. You're the kind of workmate, the student, the friend, the family person. There's something about you. Wow. Peter writes in his letter, Live such good lives among the pagans or the nations that though they accuse you of doing wrong, and you will if you're a Christian get accused of being out of step with society's norms. They accuse you of doing wrong. They will see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits. That's how we're doing it, guys. We're speaking and living differently. We need to dwell on mission. Let's finish with the tough stuff. Trust the Father's knife. There's a passage in here that feels tough. I am the true vine and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. And while every branch that does bear fruit, he cuts and cleans so that it would be even more fruitful. Wow, that's hard, isn't it? What you're saying is, what, is the way that God's going to come and do his stuff on you is that he's going to cut you? He's going to take his knife and he's going to cut off stuff? That is exactly what Jesus is saying. Because that's what happened to Israel. Israel was this branch that thought, yes, I'm fruitful, I'm part of God's vine, but actually he says, no, I'm going to come through and I'm going to cut off everything that's unfaithful, everything that's not fruitful, I'm going to cut that off. And he's going to do that with you. He's going to cut off everything in you. I wrote this, if you are true disciples of Jesus, the loving Father allows us to face the challenges of everyday life, but not to be harsh to us to provide those moments when the gospel liberates us from everything that enslaves and makes us fruitless because he's determined to have you dwell in the love of his fruitful life. When bad stuff happens, it's his knife coming to say, I'm cutting that off. I'm cutting off that unfruitful pattern of behavior. I'm cutting off that way of thinking. I'm cutting off that unfruitful thing. And sometimes we don't let the Father have his knife until we get to that desperate point where we just say, God, would you cut this off me? And that sometimes takes pressure. But then he also says that he's going to cut the fruitful vine. Jesus says this, greater love has no one than this to lay down his life for his friends. Jesus is the fruitful vine, the one that's forever rooted in his Father's love, but the Father has taken his knife, cut him. He's cut him off. Two passages to show I'm not making this up. Jeremiah eleven nineteen says this, talking of Jesus, I'm sure, I've been led like a lamb, a gentle lamb led to the slaughter. They have plotted against me, saying, Let us destroy the tree and its fruit. Let us cut him off from the land of the living. The knife falls on Jesus. The Father's knife falls on the true vine. Isaiah 53, before, in that middle of that great passage about Jesus' death and in our place, for he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he's punished. 
He's the fruitful vine that's being cut off to get rid of all your unfruitfulness. All your sin, all your mess-ups, all your ways where you've rooted yourself in every other thing that's got no root system. Jesus has come and he's cut off so that you can be fruitful. Sometimes for Christians, the knife will fall on the fruitful things of your life. But before that, it's fallen on Jesus. Jesus has been cut off. He's died, cut away from the life of God so that we could be joined in, so that we could have the life of God. And that's what we celebrate. That's what we celebrate as a church. We celebrate that Jesus' body was broken. It's almost like the knife came and parted him away for those hours on the cross, away from the life of God. He cried out, separated, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why am I separated from you? I felt the cry of the urgency of to be connected to the life of God. He cried, to, I want to live forever in that love that you've had, but, but separated from us. And we so casually live separated from him. But Jesus was separated from us that we could be joined in, that we could take the, the life of the true vine. Yes, Father, I admit you're the gardener. Yes, I am happy for you to cut me and prune me. I need to have your word dwell in me. I need to have your life in me. I need to take your life in and be free and be transformed and be fruitful and be all the things that you've called me to be. Jesus even talks about the vine in the Last Supper, Mark 14, 24 says, This is my blood, which is poured out for many. I tell you the truth, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine. It talks about God being, Jesus being like crushed in the winepress of God's judgment, that, that judgment, the cutting off has come to him. I'm not going to drink again of the fruit of that vine until the day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God with us. After his resurrection, we drink it with him. We drink and say, I celebrate the sap of the vine, the spirit of God. As I drink it, I'm saying, let his life flow in me. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.